says this, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help. Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living." Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me before we consider it. Father, we do pray now that you would attend the preaching of your word. We pray that you would hide me so that your glory may shine forth. We pray for us as listeners that that your spirit would come and and walk down the aisles of this place and into our seats, indeed into our hearts, and soften our hearts, open our minds. Lord, help us not to be the people who leave all of life's cares and concerns at that door, but let us be those who bring them right into here and expect to hear from you in your word. Because that's what we need, Lord. We don't want to live divided lives. We want you to come into the very very mess and mire and the beauties of our life and to help us and to shape us and guide us. We are lost without you, but in you we have hope and confidence for this life and the one to come. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If I were to ask you if you're a confident person, uh, what would you say? Are you a confident person? It's kind of a weird question because in some ways, you may say, yeah, I am a confident person. I'm, I'm really good at my job, or I'm really good at working around the house. And in other ways, you feel totally incompetent, and you lack confidence in total. Uh, confidence is a, a, a strange thing because it, it feels situational in our lives. It's totally possible that we move out into the world with absolute confidence and and a surety about the way that we're going to perform. And yet, speaking for a friend here, you come home into the the duties of being a husband or a father, and in many ways you feel totally incompetent. And you lack confidence to do some of the very most basic and meaningful things that those closest to you need. 
surely we have some things that we feel confident about. But, but this morning, as we consider this psalm, David is talking about confidence. And he's not talking about that sort of situational life confidence that dwells up with, with skills or that lacks with the lack of skills. He is talking about a different kind of confidence altogether. It is more of a, of a base note of confidence about the way that we are, about who we are as we move out into the world. It is a deep-seated, indwelling confidence that, as he says in this psalm, comes only from the Lord. It's a confidence that when life turns dark and dim and difficult, that you will be okay. It's a confidence that when, when life goes dark, that there is still a remaining light in your life. King David looks at the Lord and says, you are the only place where I can find that kind of confidence. And look, you guys, King David was surely an accomplished man. He was a great warrior. He was a great entrepreneur. The kingdom spread under his rule like it had never done in history. He was a very capable person, surely confident in many areas, and yet he looks here in this psalm and says, You, O Lord, are my baseline confidence. You are my rock amidst all of life's travails and storms. And we see a progression through this psalm of how he sees the Lord of his confidence. The first right there is verses 1 through 3. And he sees the Lord as the source of his confidence. And next he goes to talk about the place where we find confidence. And then he goes on to talk about our need for confidence. And finally, he ends it, how it is that we wait for confidence that comes from the Lord. So let's kind of go through with David this psalm. Verses 1 through 3 first, the source of confidence. Let me define a term here before we go. Just what is confidence? Very plainly, confidence is a feeling or belief that we can rely on someone or something. It's a firm trust. So it's a feeling or belief. It's a firm trust that we can rely on someone or something. Let me talk to us about how this works. When we wake up in the morning, we expect that when we pivot out of bed that our feet are actually going to hit the floor and probably stumble a bit, but but we expect that gravity is going to do its job and we're actually going to hit the floor and proceed on to the restroom or to make coffee or whatever it is. Right? Likewise, I have a confidence that when I go through the drive-through at Taco Bell, that after 28 years, I know that that bean burrito is going to taste a certain way. It's going to be mediocre and it's not going to have enough cheese. I have experience that shows me that. Confidence comes through both personal experience as well as expert information. We trust the physicists and the scientists that tell us about gravity, and I trust the minimum wage workers at Taco Bell that they are going to stiff me on cheese and yet put too much beans. It's just what confidence does. It's borne out over time, and we trust that that's, how the, way, that's the way things are. But on a bit more serious note, how do we have confidence when it comes time to to move out into the life, uh, into the world, and, and share something about our life that maybe is, uh, is scary. The intimate details of our hearts or our story 
with others? Where are we going to find the confidence to actually utter the words or to let those things come off of our tongue? We've never done that before. We don't have the life experience. The experts tell us that's frightening. Where do we get the confidence in things like that? Where do we get the confidence to trust the medications that the doctor tells us that we should take? Some of us don't. Some of us don't trust the FDA. We're skeptical. But most of us have a reasonable level of surety that, that when the doctors say you can do this, we tr we're trusting them as an expert. So confidence comes as we are... Uh, we believe someone, we rely on them, we have trust in them over time through their expert opinion or through our personal experience. So what does King David identify as the source of his confidence? Through all of his endeavors militarily and his kingdom expansions and his business ventures, David has identified the singular source of his confidence to be the Lord. It's the Lord. And he gives us three images by which he finds the Lord to be his singular source of confidence. And they are this. The Lord is his light, his salvation, and his stronghold right there in verses 1 through 3. The Lord is his light. And think about the nature of light. Light very simply illuminates the way. It shows us the way forward so that we can confidently take the next step. So if you have children or if you are a child, it's the nightlight. It allows you to go to sleep with your fears eased that, that the monsters, in fact, are not in your room or under your bed, no matter how many times mom and dad have told you. If you are walking around in the dark on a camping trip, the flashlight is what keeps you from tripping on a root. If you're in the attic like I've been for the past month, the flashlight, the headlamp, is what keeps me from falling through. The light gives us confidence. It gives us confidence in the midst of darkness around us. David likewise calls the Lord his light, the very one who by being in relationship to him gives you confidence in life's unknown. Whether that be in business or whether that be in parenting, whether that be in other relationships, whether that be in school, whether that be in a career change, whether that be in a move, David says the Lord is your light. The Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. You can trust Him. He is the light. But he also says that the Lord is my salvation. The Lord is my deliverer. That word is the great Hebrew word which means saves. Jesus' name, in fact, is a derivative of this word. Yeshua, the Lord saves. David is looking and saying, the Lord, you are my Savior. You are the one who delivers throughout all of life's problems. And look, salvation and trusting the Lord and finding confidence in Him as a source of your confidence involves some sort of remembering. So when we think about God taking care of us and delivering us and saving us, we usually, our minds go back to, well, is he someone I can trust? Is he someone who has worked in the past to save or to deliver? And hopefully the answer for you is yes, and if not for you, then gather around his people and share your burdens and struggles and say, tell me, tell me that I can trust him. How has he been faithful in your life to save you, to deliver you, to provide for you? 
I grew up in a home in south, uh, southwest Oklahoma, Duncan. My father uh, was a small independent oil producer. We did not get rich. Um, and in fact, uh, there were many times when, uh, when the price of oil went down, as it has this past year, it was slim pickings, y'all. We were eating a lot of mac and cheese, and we were happy for it. But I knew, I knew, I knew that my dad was going to get up every day, and he was going to go work hard. And he was going to do everything in his power to provide for us, to deliver us out of life situations. I could trust him. And that may or may not be your experience in growing up. But my father provided that sense of, of surety that he was trustworthy, that he was going to save us. And David is saying, how much more the Lord of heaven and earth, the very one who will said created everything, not just in functional capacity, but in beauty. And, and he delights in his creation. He delights in you as the pinnacle of his creation. You can trust him. He is your salvation. And David draws on this. But he doesn't stop there. He says, the Lord is also my stronghold. David's confidence rests in the Lord because the Lord is his refuge. That's what that word means. And in Oklahoma, when, when April and May come, and the tornadoes are, are coming in Owasso, you guys had it right here in your backyard. What do we do? We look for our refuge. We either hope we have good friends with a basement or a storm shelter, or we go to the inner room of a house, or you crawl out in that thing in your garage, which you paid $5,000 for. I've been researching them. You are looking for a refuge, a stronghold, something that will save you. And David is saying, the Lord is my stronghold. But the reality for us is this, that our functional refuges and strongholds oftentimes are anything but the Lord, aren't they? Here's how you, here's how you know and identify what you functionally look to to be your stronghold and your refuge you fill in this sentence. When I get nervous or fearful or anxious in life, I think to myself, well, at least I have a, a healthy retirement account. At least I have kids who love me who aren't as bad as the neighbor's kids. At least I have a car that I like to get into that makes me feel good about myself. At least I have friends. At least I have a rainy day fund. At least I have a wife or a husband. At least I have wealthy parents who will take care of me one day Sunday, I hope. What do you look to where you, when life's kind of crumbling around you where is that place that you go and that kind of lowers the blood pressure, that allows you to breathe and say, okay, even if this situation's no good, at least I have that. That thing is your functional refuge. It is your functional stronghold and strength. And David is calling us out of those temporary things because everything I listed, those are good things. It's, it's great to have a new car. Hopefully it lasts forever. It's great to have a retirement account, a well-diversified one. It's, it's great to have wealthy parents. Just don't wish them away too soon. It's great to have friends and all of these things, but David is saying these things can vanish. 
They can leave you unfulfilled. They can be here today and gone tomorrow. He says, the Lord is your refuge. He is your stronghold and ever-present help in times of trouble. So the Lord is, is David's source of confidence. Is he yours? Is he yours? The psalm then kind of progresses on in verses 4 through 6, and David talks about the source of his confidence, but then he goes on to talk about the place where we find this confidence, the place where we're renewed in it. And where is it? David shows us exactly where it is that we might expect to encounter this God. We might expect David to say that you will find him most clearly in that quiet place, in that favorite chair of yours with your devotional books and your hot coffee. You might expect him to say it's out at the lake or on the pretty mountains. Those are all wonderful places. But that is not what David says. Look down at the language in verses 4 through 6 right there. It says things like this. I want to dwell in the house of the Lord. I want to inquire in his temple. Conceal me in his tent and go on to offer sacrifices in his tent. What's David saying? He's saying, look, if you want to be renewed, if you want to, for your heart and mind to be strengthened in the source of your confidence, you don't go do that by being alone with the Lord you go by being with him and his people. Obviously, in the Old Testament, that place was the tabernacle, the tent. Later on in Solomon's reign, it became the temple, this permanent, beautiful place that in its building said, God is here. It was beautiful. But friends, we know that as the progression of Scripture goes on, Jesus comes and says, look, something greater than the temple has come. It, it's me. And as the Apostle Paul develops that theology, he says, look, the Spirit is no longer just at the temple. It's no longer just dwelling in Jesus. The Spirit now dwells in you. You are His temple, right? Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, which we all took to mean don't smoke and drink. It means something a little more than that. What Scripture is saying is that God is with you. He is in you. And so the thing that you do here at Trinity in Owasso, week in and week out, when you spend hours unloading trailers, bringing in these chairs and setting up this equipment and the black curtains, everything you do to make the cafeteria look this good, and it looks good, y'all, and it's a lot of work, and some of you can't wait till you get a building. It's all worth it, not just because this is a production and we want to do it well. It's worth it because God is here with us in this place. And that as you fellowship with one another and you drink that iced coffee and as you talk about how you're going to see each other during the week at community groups and pray together and have lunch together and as you talk about your trials and your difficulties, God is saying through his scripture, that's where I am. I am here as you meet together and as you come to me, I am filling you full Think about what Jesus said in his high priestly prayer right before he was led off to be handed over and crucified. He's praying to God and he says, Father, make them one as we are one. Knit their hearts together. The Apostle Paul would go on to say that Christ is the head of the body and we are its, uh, we are its body. We're the, we're the hands and the feet and we can't say to one another, I don't need you or I don't need you. We need each other. The author of the Hebrew uh, the Hebrew Christian says, do not forsake meeting together. Now, why? 
Is this just some sort of first century power monger people they were trying to create this thing? No. They are filled by the Spirit saying, you need one another. And God is going to uniquely restore your confidence in Him as you experience life together. This is what the Scripture is saying. This is what David is saying. This is the place to find confidence. So why do we do this? Why do we come together? Why do we look to the Lord for our confidence? Quite simply, it's because we need it. We need it, and that's what verses 7 through 12 say. That we need his confidence for three reasons. The first is verse 9. David is begging God to not cast him off in anger. He says, do not forsake me. Don't hide from me. Don't cast me off. Now, why would David say that? Well, it's obvious because David has a knowledge of his own sinfulness. Why would God be angry at him? Inevitably, David is like you and me. He needs the Lord's presence. He needs to be restored in his confidence because he is a sinful person. So he begs him, do not cast me off. But we can't help it. That's the most natural reaction to our own sin, isn't it? Whenever we knowingly have sinned against God, transgressed his, his law in some way, we're just sure that he wants nothing to do with us. We don't want to pray. We don't want to confess it. We don't want to share it with anyone. It's so natural. Five years ago, I was heading back from an RUF staff training. And uh, a little bit of backstory here. Um, for the majority of my high school years and my college years, I had developed a pretty uh, significant gambling problem, we might say. And, um, and whenever Sarah and I met when I was about 24, I was sharing this kind of life struggle uh, with her. I, it's not much of a struggle if you just give into it, which I was doing. So um, I was telling her about this, and she looked at me and said, well, if you want to date me, you're not going to do that. It's like, well, I want to date you, so I guess I'm not going to do that. So we dated and uh, ended up getting engaged and married, and about five years into marriage, which is about five years ago now, I was driving home from an RUF staff training like a good minister would do, and I did what? Stopped at the Windstar Casino, and I went in, and I gambled $100 away so fast, and I got in the car and drove home, and I had to tell Sarah. And I was certain, because of this long history of how she told me, you will not do this, and I said, I will not do this, I was certain that at the moment that I confessed that to her, that it was going to be D-Day. It was going to be bombs and fireworks, and it was going to be terrible. I feared that. I feared that she was going to forsake me and cast me out. She was sad, to be sure. But she hugged me, and she said, I love you, I forgive you, and please don't do that again. Friends, do you know that when you sin and you come to the Lord, yes, certain sin has different levels of ramification. Yes, certain sin has different consequences and needs different kinds of treatment. Yes. But do you know that the Lord does not cast you out? Because he has already cast one out in your place. So David says, do not cast me out. Do not forsake me. We need the Lord's presence because we're sinful. Secondly, we need the Lord's presence and his confidence 
because others leave us, friends come and go. Verse 10, David is confident of the Lord's presence even though his own father and mother are leaving him. Now that picture is one of the most intimate, kind of sure relationships that we have. David's saying, look, my father and mother are nowhere to be found, but you, Lord, are here. Very quickly, do you have confidence in the one who sticks closer than a father or a mother or a brother? Do you know that he is not going to leave you or forsake you? He promises you he won't. And thirdly, right there, we need the Lord's presence and confidence because we have real enemies. Certainly, verses 11 and 12, David had real physical enemies, people pursuing him. He was a king, and guess what, y'all? Kings have enemies, always. There are always conquests to be made on a king's territory. My wife was talking to a friend of hers from childhood uh, just yesterday, and her friend had been dating this guy for oh man, six years, and it was kind of the situation when you're like, okay, like, when's he going to pull the trigger? When's he going to make this thing official? And Sarah's friend said, well, I found out that two, two months ago that my boyfriend is a con man. He has not just me as a girlfriend, he has seven girlfriends. And I loaned him $80,000 so he could buy a house, and others of these girlfriends loaned him money as well. What do you do when you have real enemies? What do you do when you have people who really mess you over? Where do you go for confidence when your life goes flat? David is saying we can go to the Lord. But look, even if you may not be, be able to identify real enemies, real physical enemies, we certainly have spiritual enemies. We have a spiritual enemy. Listen to 1 Peter 5 eight. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Will it be you? Ephesians 6.12, Paul says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Friends, we all have enemies. We need to have our confidence and our well-being rooted and established in the Lord because we will, we will be pressed in upon by our enemies, whether physical or spiritual, every day of our life. So we need that confidence that only comes from the Lord. So where does this come from? What's David's conclusion to this? Can it come now? Some of us need this confidence now. Verse 13 and 14. David concludes and says, I believe I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. But here is the dagger, and here is the difficulty for us as Americans. Verse 14, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. I hate that. <laughs> I want life fast, and I want it efficiently. I want it on my own terms, and I want it at my pace. And David gets it. He says, look, there is reason to look upon the goodness of the Lord. There is reason for my heart to take courage. But let's be clear about it. We have to wait on him. 
There is a patience in godliness. We are in the midst of a, of a house remodel right now. I wish we weren't. Um, my wife and I, too, I'm not going to throw her under the bus here, she wanted brick floors, and um, brick floors are great. They look really pretty, but you can't just put bricks, three-and-a-half-inch bricks, down on a floor because they're three-and-a-half inches tall and nothing else in your house is that tall. So what that means is that we had to cut the bricks in half. Bricks are hard, really hard. And in fact, to cut a brick in half, it takes two-and-a-half minutes per brick. Okay, that's not that long unless you have 600 of them. And so for the better part of a week and a half, I sat behind a brick saw and pushed bricks through at this kind of speed for nine and ten hours a day. It was terrible. But I had to wait on it. You couldn't speed it up. If you tried to push it through fast, the saw would bind and it wouldn't work. It'd hit the reset switch, then it would take longer. So you just have to wait. There's no shortcutting it. Friends, the Lord knows what he's doing. That saw knew what it was doing. It had a plan. It had a way. The Lord knows what he's doing. You can trust him. He's not going to shortcut it because if he did, it wouldn't be for your good. He is going to take his time. Sometimes it's quick. Sometimes it's slow. He's going to take his time because he loves you. He's going to work his plan to exactitude because he is for you. He is for you. Do you know that? Paul reminds us of this in Romans 8, 31 and 32, where he says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God is not going to withhold from you. That's what Paul's saying. Don't you get it? He's not going to withhold from you. How do we know that? How can we trust this? Because he already withheld everything from the only one who deserved his presence, didn't he? Our confidence comes through the person and work of Jesus. Think about what happened at the cross, real briefly. At the cross, Jesus, who if anyone deserved to have his source of confidence in God, it was Jesus who from all eternity was with God. He saw and with God and the Spirit created the world. He's like, I can trust him. And at the cross, Jesus is handed over, handed over and forsaken. The source of his confidence is, is no longer there. He was the one who throughout his life was being affirmed by God. You're my son in whom I'm well pleased. And at the cross, God goes silent on Jesus. Think about the place of confidence that Jesus had. Jesus was with the Father and the Son in perfect communion. And yet again at the cross, he's abandoned, not only by God, but by all of his friends. He goes lonely. Think about Jesus and his need for confidence. He needed the Father. He needed the Son. In their own infinite personhood, they were coexistent. They, ex they were part of one another's being. They held together. They needed each other in that way. And yet at the cross... He is separated from them. And lastly, think about this. His waiting for God. At the cross, he waited. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When are you going to make this end? 
and God let him die. But friends, Jesus just, he waited. He waited for three days. Some of us have had to wait three days. Some of us have had to wait three years. Some of us are waiting 33 years and longer for your problems to go away, for your children to return back to the Lord, for your family's health to to be better. Friends, the resurrection is the stamp of God saying, I will make good on my promise. Whether in this life or fully, finally, one day at your resurrection, you can wait for me because I will come through. I will never leave you or forsake you fully and finally. In Jesus, you can trust me. You are brought into the relationship. You're adopted into the family. You are called the beloved son or daughter. You are given the place. Your needs are met in him. And you can wait with confidence because God is going to do it. So friends, with David this morning, we say, I believe that I shall look upon the the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Heart, take refuge and wait for the Lord. Let us go together in prayer as we call on the Lord and his faithfulness and as we ask him to give us strength even as we wait. Father, we do pray that you would strengthen us for that day. Lord, for some of us, that day is going to be today as we see your prayers, our prayers and your faithfulness come to fruition. For others of us, that day will be when we meet you face to face in glory and we will see that all of life's struggles were worth it. We will see that you did not fully and finally abandon us, that you were actually being faithful and true all along. Lord, send us your spirit through your people as we worship. Strengthen us, gird our loins, fill our confidence to the full so that we may look on you in the land of the living. Give us life even as we wait. We pray, Lord, that you continue to strengthen us as we continue in worship. In Christ's name we pray, amen. As we proceed to give our tithes and offerings to the Lord, take a moment and fill out the yellow Trinity Connection card. Uh, if you have not done so already, and then please let, leave that in the basket as it passes through the aisle. Let's go to, to the Lord in prayer. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, if we give you one cent or a thousand cents, your wealth is not increased by one cent. I pray that you would help us to give of hearts of of thankfulness, knowing that you do provide for our needs. You may not give us all of our wants, but you do take care of our needs. Uh, Bless this offering and those that give it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.